want to welcome all of you to the first Nerd Night podcast of 2016 on CBS's Play It Network. Hooray! I think as some of you may have known, uh, 2015 was a pretty miserable year for me personally. Uh, By the way, this is Matt from Nerd Night New York. Hello, everyone. Um, So I am extremely excited to literally turn the calendar to the new year. So uh, hopefully 2016 has significantly better things in store from a personal sense than 2015 did. Uh, I will say from a Nerd Night perspective in 2015, it was a delightful year. Uh, We started 20 new cities. Uh, We're actually at an even 100 right now globally. So hopefully all of you listening around the world right now have a Nerd Night near you and you can enjoy one shortly in person. As we always say here on the Nerd Night podcast, uh, we still believe that ultimately Nerd Night is best experienced in its live face-to-face event environment where you can have a couple of drinks with your friends and family and colleagues while learning some dazzling information from our wonderful presenters. Uh, But since this is a podcast and you are probably listening to it by yourself, we still encourage you to have a couple of adult beverages. Um, Of course, only if you are not driving and if you are of age in the location in which you are uh, located right now, uh, depending on when you are able to drink. Uh, So with that, today's podcast features Kevin Marr. He is a pop culture aficionado and guru here in the New York area. For years, he has run a variety clips show called Kevin Geeks Out, in which he takes very deep dives into obscure corners of pop culture, whether it be sharks or wrestling or uh, Nazi zombies. Yes, these are all things. Today's podcast is going to be all about supervillains. It is a field guide to supervillains, and a lot of it is based on a matrix he's come up with about how big a supervillain is versus how small he or she might be um, and how it relates to if that supervillain is more caveman-esque or very erudite. So with that, let's learn a little bit about supervillains. Thanks. For the record, if any of you have been tweeting or periscoping or Facebooking anything's happening, please do not take a picture of me drinking water on stage. This is sacrilege to Nerd Night. This is not happening. This has never happened. You have not seen this at all. It's on the podcast. No one, uh, look, I'm drinking 1240s right now on stage, everyone listening to this. Okay, right? Yeah, Edward Forty Hands. Good. We, we, so we, we've got Kevin coming up here. Um, Kevin has been a, a sort of a B, kind of like one, one of the pop culture go-to guys in New York for maybe 15 years. He's, uh, he's been on like VH1 Best of Shows. He runs his own monthly show for years called Kevin Geeks Out, uh, where he'll talk about wrestling or shark movies or things like that because it's all very important. Um, obviously, today he's going to be here talking about supervillains, and I'm... So I, I'm curious to see his, his take on this. Uh, the reason I ask is that w- weird personal confession. I don't know if this is good or bad. Judge me or don't judge me, however you judge yourselves. But I, I was a big show, the uh, th- uh, big fan of the TV show How I Met Your Mother. And on that show, one of the characters, Barney Stinson, was a huge fan of Karate Kid because he always thought that um, that, uh, that Danny, the, uh, the, the quote-unquote bad guy, was actually the Karate Kid and that it was the, the good innocent kid who was taking it. And so it was this nice sort of bizarro reversal of roles and so i don't expect for all of you in the next 20 minutes to see an entire presentation about supervillains about superman batman 
uh, the Green Hornet and Daredevil, but maybe you will. So I don't know. Kevin, maybe you'll surprise us. We get a round of applause for the illustrious, the magnificent, the recently birthdayed Kevin Marr. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keep it going for Matt and Nerd Night, one of my favorite shows in New York City. This is a thrill to be here. Um, Matt had tweeted out earlier today that we started and ended 2015 with Kevin Marr appearing at Nerd Night. I did a show here uh, in January. I did it in Manhattan. Was anybody at the January show where I talked about... I, uh, that's Kevin Geeks out. I was at the January show where I talked about Nazi zombies. Did anybody see that? A couple of people saw that. I ran long. I, sometimes I ran long. Matt's going to make sure I don't do that tonight. Uh, I didn't get to do a Q&A. I didn't get to answer any questions. I had prepared what I thought was the inevitable FAQ, which is, when you're talking about the subject of Nazi zombies, is, is there a zombie Hitler? Has there been a zombie Hitler? And I prepared a clip, and I didn't get to show it. I thought I'd show it tonight <laughs> to start things off. Okay, yes, to answer, to answer the frequently asked question, yes, there is a... There is a zombie Hitler. The first one ever appeared in 1985. The first one was in a movie called Hard Rock Zombies. Now here's the crazy thing about the movie Hard Rock Zombies. These guys were making a movie called American Drive-In and throughout the film, they needed something to show and project on the screen at the drive-in. So they just slapped together a bunch of imagery and zombies and a rock band. And they realized at the end of making American Drive-In that they'd shot more than half of a movie. They'd shot more than 45 minutes. So somebody in the finance department just said, fucking go for it. So they released Hard Rock Zombies, which is the first film to introduce Zombie Hitler, which we're going to look at in a clip right now. That's him on the ground. <laughs> That'll play great on the podcast. Hi, CBS. Uh, so if you were there with me in January, we've gotten some closure. We can put that part of it behind. And if you hadn't seen the presentation, then you've just learned proof positive. You've got persuasive evidence that I am a pop culture expert who knows what he's talking about. When I say pop culture expert podcasters, I'm putting air quotes around it because I'm ironically making fun of the fact that I take it seriously that I'm a pop culture expert. Let's get to tonight's topic, a field guide to supervillains. That's why we're here. Let's talk about supervillains. Um, what is it that makes me qualified to talk about this? Well, look, the evidence is right there. I scored 10 out of 10 on the ultimate Batman movie quiz. Um, but to quote Roddy Piper, uh, I, if you look at the website there, I wrote the quiz of the ultimate Batman quiz. Thanks, Nick, my editor's here tonight. Uh, so in the words of famous supervillain Roddy Piper, just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. There you have it. Uh, I did a show called Kevin Geeks Out about supervillains. That's, I do a monthly show at Nighthawk Cinema. That was a, a show we did a few months ago, and I really wanted to present kind of a capsulized version of something that I did in that show, looking at villain voices and villain characteristics. Um, a lot of the 
villains that we've come to know in 20th century American pop culture came from print media. They came in comic books. And this goes all the way back to like the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Uh, the first Superman comic we all know came out in 1938. So you got to see the character and see what he looked like and have his relationships and, and read the words that came out of his mouth. But uh, I feel like that's kind of a limited form of the media. I love comic books and graphic novels, but uh, what came later is what I'm a little more drawn to. The first uh, radio show came in 1940, and what I find fascinating is uh, characters that previously existed and they had a life and they had, had dialogue and voice. Now they were really given a voice, and that was a collaboration between the actor and the writer and the producer and uh, a whole team of people, and I think the voices are, are what define so many of these characters, and, and a lot of those same vocal characteristics have been used over and over for decades, and they're still with us today, and we're gonna look at that in the presentation. And then, of course, the first Batman serial was in 1943. Uh, it's the villain stuff, you know, very 1940s, very World War II. So we're looking at some of the way, the baggage of, of when these villains first came out, how, how they're with us today, and how some of the tropes have uh, become a little bit dated. I'm interested in the villain voice matrix, and let me explain a little bit about what that means. Here it comes. Hanna-Barbera sound effects. Uh, I work as a voice director, um, and, and I direct voiceovers, and I've directed animation, just the, the voice acting in animation. And one of the things that happens, I've only been doing it for, for the last several years, and it's because it's the 21st century, you have the postmodern vocal character echo chamber, which means a lot of people, when they're doing character voices, they're basing it on somebody that already existed in the media. Professor Frank from The Simpsons is, of course, Jerry Lewis, the Nutty Professor. Uh, Edna from, uh, from The Incredibles is Edith Head. And, of course, who could forget Bogey, <laughs> the talking orangutan from NBC's Saturday morning cartoon. Shirt Tales is clearly based on Humphrey Bogart, uh, which went over the head of a lot of kids. But that's the thing, a lot of the, a lot of the voice actors who are doing these things and coming up with these characters are amusing themselves because they grew up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons and such. So they're doing stuff as inside jokes that, um, that is, is one thing. But we're gonna look at some voices that kind of were, were made out of nothing. The Matrix is gonna look at one spectrum that on one end we've got the caveman, on the other we've got the erudite, sophisticated fellow. And then the other axis we're looking at, I'm trying to make it sound good for the podcast, up and down on the Matrix. You know, we've created across, at the top we've got the large characters, at the bottom we've got the small. So let's look at the intersection of these guys. I'm gonna start in this quadrant of the small erudite characters. And who do we have first? Who's that guy? Mr. Mixoplex in the flesh. Let's uh, see what he does and hear what he sounds like. So pay very close attention to the voice acting used in the characterization of Mr. Mixoplex in Legends of the Super Friends. Oh no, it's Mixoplex. That's right, Superman. I've escaped from the fifth dimension again. <laughs> so he's a little guy. He's got the annoying laugh. Um, he's got kind of a nasally high-pitched voice. Uh, he definitely belongs in this part of the Matrix. He's literally light in his loafers. He is floating in the air, and he's played a little bit fey, right? It's not just me, right? That's all there. 
If that's not enough, in this same episode of Super Friends, Mr. Mixelflick reveals what his favorite book is. The Wizard of Oz. Again, just to really drive home a very particular viewpoint in the 1970s when these things were made by Hanna-Barbera. Uh, and Superman will have none of it. He gives a good Jack Benny look to the camera while Wonder Woman's giving him the side eye. They want nothing to do with Mr. Mixelflick. He's a pain in the ass. But you have to outwit him because when it's a small guy, you can't just overpower them because they don't have the physical strength. You need to, you need to uh, outsmart them because they're typically uh, sinister geniuses. All right. Let's look at the next guy on the, on the villain voice matrix. It's Toy Man, one of like the least beloved villains of all time, Toy Man. Uh, what Toy Man has going for him physically is he's got kind of the whip skinny body of like a lead singer in a rock band, uh, probably closely resembles David Bowie, which again gets into kind of the sexual ambiguity of, of the time of the 1970s. And uh, let's hear Toy Man. I, I just have a short sound bite, so play, pay attention closely. He's also got the package going on down there. <laughs> Those super fools are falling right into my trap. So again, super fools is really big because it's it's two things. They love the wordplay. You know, the evil geniuses, they love a good wordplay and pun, and they also love the idea that they're smarter than everyone else. So the super friends are the super fools. That line gets used throughout most of the run of the super friends. Um, and also, I think it really speaks to America's kind of conflicted feelings with the toy collector that uh, I know so many people my age who boast about being like, I'm like a teenager that won't grow up. <laughs> and I feel like America has a lot of mixed feelings about that. It's fine up until a point, and we can't exactly all agree where that, where that line is. But uh, yeah, Toy Man, he's, he's like, he, he's like a, a precursor to Gamergate there. He's using Wonder Woman as a yo-yo. So he's a bit of a villain, huh? Uh, who else do we have in this quadrant? Why, look, there's Cobra Commander. Let's pay attention to Cobra Commander's speaking voice, shall we? Excellent. They have spotted us. Cobra, attack! Uh, so Cobra Commander is an interesting figure because the, the S's that they give him a lot in, in one of the G.I. Joe movies or G.I. Joe the movie, I think they, they explain the origin story that he was like created by a snake monster. So that's why he hits a lot of those S's because the evil serpent, which again gets, gets into the book of Genesis and the Bible with the, the devil appearing as a snake, that uh, he's, he's a really sinister evil guy, but the, the raspiness in there <laughs> is also very Harvey Firestein. And uh, if I'd had the time, I was going to cut together a video where you could have Harvey Firestein's voice with Cobra Commander, because that's the great thing about an animated character who doesn't have a lip flap. You can make them say anything. If you just saw the, the Donald Trump <laughs> Darth Vader video, you know it edits very well. Um, I'm going to compare him to Skeletor a little bit later, but he's in a different quadrant. Uh, the Peculiar Purple Pie Man of Porcupine Peak. This is a, a guy from, does anybody recognize this show? Strawberry Shortcake, the ladies. Ladies know this guy. Uh, I find it really awful that he's the peculiar pie man, because again, there's a little homophobic streak that's just running all throughout kids' TV in the 1970s, that he's got the fancy mustache and the whip-thin body, and he enjoys the culinary arts. Here's a clip of the peculiar Purple Pie Man. Mm. Yeah, everything's very wonderful, eh? She doesn't suspect a thing. The perfect time to attack. You 
know these lonely middle-aged men making puns to animals? Wearing nothing but lavender, you know? It's, I just find it really uh, hateful. And I think 20 years from now, people are gonna be ashamed that this is like the dominant narrative of villains in cartoons. Uh, another thing you might notice about Purple Pie Man's outfit is he looks remarkably like Vincent Price in Theater of Blood. And Theater of Blood is another great example. We can look at Vincent Price, he could get his own show. Uh, Vincent Price's character in this in order to make him seem more masculine, because this always comes down to do with masculinity, to make him the villain fighting someone who's even more outrageously fey than him, they set him up against Robert Morley in a pink suit. Robert Morley goes through the movie wearing a bad toupee and ascots, and he carries around these two little poodles with bows in their hair, all to make Vincent Price's character seem that much more butch, and he gets revenge on him by killing the dogs, cooking them, and feeding them to Robert Morley. So that brings us to, yeah, that's, that's like truly villainous. This, guys, it was a guide to supervillains. This is what we're in for, okay? Don't be surprised. Vincent Price, he's got the Dracula thing going on with the cape, just like Cobra Commander. Um, there were so many different Vincent Price clips, it was really hard to narrow it down, but I've got two I wanna show. One of them is from Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Again, I just like, I, I love listening to his voice and seeing what it plays to, and he gets like that deep down raspy. You know what, I'm gonna let it speak for itself. Hi there, sports fans. I'm Dr. Goldfoot. In this world, there are good people and bad people. <laughs> Three guesses as to which side I'm on. <laughs> which side is Vincent Price on? Well, uh, his daughter just wrote a memoir which apparently reveals which side Vincent Price was on, so buy the book, you'll find out. Uh, in the Dr. Goldfoot movies, he plays, uh, it kind of connects to Ex Machina. He's, he's an evil genius who creates an army of young female robots who wear bikinis that he is not at all interested in. Um, <laughs> and he sends them out into the world to bring uh, rich bachelors back so he can try to rob them of all their money. And there's a fantastic scene, I couldn't download it because it was on Daily Motion, otherwise I'd play it here. There's a fantastic scene where these men are sitting at the dinner table, they've been chained to the table, and Vincent Price serves them fruit cup and does a monologue where he describes the ingredients <laughs> that he has fruit brought in from all different parts of the world, and these guys are struggling to escape, and Vincent Price is eating it saying, mmm, mango from Samoa. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. It breaks my heart that I couldn't show it tonight, but I found something that's almost as gay. Um, maybe more so. Here's the gayest Vincent Price clip of the night. Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz, he was singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. All right, let's say goodbye to this quadrant for now and visit the other polar opposite where the cavemen and their, their limited vocabularies meet big-bodied, burly types, starting with Bizarro. Bizarro Superman has a very distinctive uh, speech pattern. Let's see how that plays out. But Chief, with all of the super friends in jail, there'll be no one to stop the world's crime. <laughs> Batman guess right, but him not guess me bizarro with Luthor device to change voice. Now me press button, fix you. 
what I love is he just he butchers the English language uh, every time he opens his mouth. But uh, to his credit, he's not afraid to use technology or disguises, <laughs> which can't always, can't always be said for the big caveman types. Um, he's clearly the polar opposite of everything that Superman stands for and everything that we love and respect. Um, and he's, he's presented as, you know, the big hulking thug. Um, let's, let's see who some of his neighbors are in this quadrant. Why, of course, it's Solomon Grundy. Grundy has a very similar speaking pattern. Solomon Grundy, tired of stupid plans. Take care of super friends myself. The big dumb guys don't have patience for plans. They don't want to sit around talking about it. They're men of action, you know? He's bored. He just wants to, like, Hulk smash some stuff, you know? He doesn't want to come up with a psychological plan that's going to humiliate and torment his uh, opponents. He just wants to beat them up and smash them. And even some of the other villains are uncomfortable around these big guys because they can't control them. So I think that creates a, a kind of interesting dynamic in, in the... the Legion of Doom. Oh, and this is the creepy live-action Solomon Grundy. I think this is the only time he's been portrayed by a physical actor outside of a cartoon. It's really disturbing, right? Yeah. Okay, also in this quadrant, we've got the Rhino. And again, these guys always say their names because they're really into branding. So, <laughs> so ahead of their time. I am the Rhino. Nothing can withstand me. I must have more and then I will control the world. Uh, clearly very animalistic, very base. He just wants gold. He wants natural resources. He doesn't have a bigger plan than that. Uh, just wants to gather up all the gold, you know? Not a lot going on with the rhino. Um, he often gets outwitted, you know, he's, he's very fast for a rhino, even though he's a big hulking guy, he's, he moves really quickly, but typically, the way you defeat somebody like the rhino or Solomon Grundy, you, you outwit them, because they're not very smart, and that's reflected in their vocabulary for the most part. All right, five minute warning, I gotta pick things up. Uh, everybody know who this is, right? Bane, now, uh, he famously broke Batman's back in a comic book. But he was in a movie before he was in The Dark Knight Returns. He was in Batman and Robin where he looked like this. And listen to how he talked. Bane! That's what he says. That's what bad guys say when they're big galoots. Uh, he's played by WCW's Jeep Swenson. And he plays it like a luchador with the full mask and everything. But then years later, he was reinvented by Tom Hardy. That's the Bane we're going to look at now, who speaks like an associate sociology professor at Vassar. The oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity. And we give it back to you, the people. Gotham is yours. Uh, so it's a fascinating, you know, this is, this is one, of the, one of the times you get the fancy language with the big hulking body and, you know, the face tubes. Um, a friend of mine had so much fun with this because, again, it's a character where his mask is covered up so you can make him do a parody of his voice. He cut the whole trailer of The Dark Knight Rises with a different highfalutin voice. Let's give a listen. See if you can recognize who it is. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. 
Inspired by that same French excellence. What are you? It's vintage dated. <laughs> it's drunk Orson Welles. Bane is drunk Orson Welles. I love it. Uh, Gorilla Grodd, another great guy. Another big hulking monster. Which will give us ample time to make one more historical hijack. We'll return to Sutter's Mill before the gold rush and mine out all of the gold. Wants that gold. <laughs> uh, whether you're sophisticated or not, they, they want the gold. I also love in that clip getting to see the gifts of that eyebrow. Check out those fingers. I could watch this all night, but I know I just got the warning, so I gotta pick up the pace. Uh, but Gorilla Grodd's in there, uh, which reminds me of another super intelligent ape, Dr. Zaius, who I just have to show again in the shower scene, or in the steam bath. Um, let's look at Zaius in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He hates humans. You ask me to help you? Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. I'd like to point out this movie was rated G. <laughs> 1970 was a different time. Um, Zayas is a hypocrite, but he ends up being right because then Charlton Heston blows up the world. Again, spoiler from a movie that's 40 years old. Uh, but Zayas is right, so it's the curious thing is he is the super intelligent ape who was right all along. Uh, we're gonna move to Skeletor, who's one of my favorite characters in this whole thing. Um, I like the self-loathing of some of these villains who have these highfalutin plans and they hate everybody, but they still need henchmen, but then they hate the henchmen who would follow them. It's a real self-loathing thing. I love this clip, listen. On. Why do I surround myself with fools? Even the robots are smarter than you. you I think he hates himself for surrounding himself with people who would follow him because he hates himself deep down. He's covered in shit. Um, he's having a hard time, Skeletor. But I do want to say, if you do think you're smarter than all the people you work with, that doesn't make you a supervillain. You just might need to find a better job. All right. And then I'm in the chart right up here because I'm a big guy who's also uh, erudite. Now, the... Uh, final quadrant is a little confusing. This is probably the least populated area on the map. I'm gonna look at one. It's the Zuni fetish doll from Trilogy of Terror who tries to kill Karen Black and doesn't really speak much. <coughs> Zuni fetish doll is not operating with a five-year plan. He's not that sinister. He just wants to destroy and he doesn't have a good command of the English language. But I found an even more sinister little guy who has a hard time speaking and articulating what he wants clearly with a big vocabulary. Probably uh, the most disturbed sociopath in the whole chart. Of course, there can only be one guy who's going to bring it home for us, and that's the Hamburglar. Touch my face! What a freak! He's just gonna try to turn his friend into a giant cheeseburger and then like kill him and eat him. 
Hamburglar, you're a mess. And also, if you go back and look at the early Hamburglar, it's like when you read Grimm's fairy tales and see how disturbing and freaky they were. This is the original character design. He's terrifying. If you're listening to this on the podcast, Google early Hamburglar. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, all of this is to say that um, these are all extremes we're looking at, extreme cavemen and small guys and big guys and erudite guys, but uh, it's all supposed to be an opposition of masculinity, comparing them to guys like Batman and Superman, who are completely boring. I think uh, if you look at Aquaman, you know, he's smart, he's intelligent, but he's not too smart, if you know what I mean. They say that Jeopardy is designed for high school graduates. That's the level that Jeopardy's at. That's where these guys are coming from. He's masculine, but he's not like a giant brute about it or anything. He's not, you know, pumped with steroids. Um, he would never tease you and use wordplay and be, you know, like one of those... Uh, mean-spirited guys. He wouldn't cook and eat your dog or feed it to you. He's definitely not a sissy. Um, and I just find that the heroes that are laid out as, as being so incredibly boring, and these are the masculine figures that are given to children at a really young age to give them an impression of what a man is and what a bad man is. And I think it's just so limiting and boring. Uh, and that's the talk. Hold on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. Now you can all clap. All right, two questions for you first. Um, since the last thing about Aquaman, um, I'll actually ask both questions so I don't forget. One, is it weird then that Jason Momoa is playing Aquaman because he's a big jacked dude and Aquaman is now supposed to be slightly less jacked? And then also, in this case, based on this, should Bizarro Superman be tiny and erudite instead of also kind of hulking and... Yeah, I, I mean, that gets into a lot of things about when you, en when you enter any kind of, like, bizarro opposite world. Uh, my kids watched The Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland, where, you know, people say, like, oh, that's terrible, but terrible is good and good is bad, but then, like, two terribles don't make a good. It's, it's really, the bizarro stuff gets really confusing, and it has its own logic that I, I find very confusing. And I'm not as familiar with the modern-day Aquamans. I'm looking at a lot of older stuff that's based very much... Uh, a lot of the 70s heyday of Hanna-Barbera is, is where, where I'm steeped in. That's my, that's my rosebud up there. 